when we started this uh, men's lunch, about six and a half years ago, we started this men's lunch. There were four tables back there in that, that Sunday school room there in the corner. About 15 guys came the first two or three weeks uh, to our men's lunch. We used to have sandwiches. We'd have a little buffet deal of sandwiches there. Uh, we moved over to this room. We had about 30 guys there, and we'd still have sandwiches. Sometimes we'd order pizzas and have pizzas there. Uh, but we started back here in this room, again, with four tables. And my thought wasn't that we needed a men's fellowship in our church. It wasn't just a men's fellowship. Uh, it wasn't just a men's group. really didn't start it with the thought, we'll have a, another men's group here in the church Really, it wasn't even that we would have a men's Bible study. My thought, well, it wasn't we need more men's opportunity to study the Bible. That is a good thing. But really, it was a response to my belief. Uh, as I watched and as I look around our culture, uh, this whole thing came out of my belief that men today have been robbed of their purpose. And I, I watch in our church and I watch in our homes, I watch in our lives, and I saw that, and I believed that, and I still believe that today. Men, and it's Satan's plan, have been robbed of their purpose. And because they've been robbed of their purpose, they're looking for a purpose every which way they can find a purpose. And I, I look at men today, and I'm talking about good men, uh, but, but they're looking for a purpose. And, and they think, well, I'll find my purpose in this thing or in this area. And you, you watch men today, and you might be able to fit men into these groups. There's the tough man. And his whole, his whole being is that he's the tough man. And then there's the sports man. And you meet him and he's talking about the Rangers and the Cowboys and the third quarter. They should have done that. And he's all about, all about sports. Then there's the businessman. And man, he's wheeling and dealing. He's all about business. There's, there's the workaholic man. And he's, he's going to invest in his career or his job or his business. And his worth and his value is the fact that, that he produces things. Uh, there's, there's the party man. There's the guy, man, we're living and we're going out to Vegas and we got this and we're having good times and we got the, the cooker fired up and we got a 12-pack back here and every day's a party and his, his whole being is wrapped up in being the party guy. And all these different guys, and I'm not saying they're bad guys, these are good guys, but the problem is all of them are missing their purpose. Their purpose, I believe, has been stolen from them. And, I, and I'm talking, when I talk about purpose, I'm talking about something that matters. A reason to get up in the morning. A reason to, 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 to get a, and to produce something, to do something, uh, to give yourself to something that matters. And, and I want to tell you what, you know what, you can be excited about the Dallas Cowboys, but that's not a reason to get up in the morning. That's not something to give your life to. I believe men are looking for the purpose that God has given them, a reason to get up, a thing to accomplish that truly, truly matters. And I think Satan has robbed that from us. Some of you are here the first week. Some of you have been here all the way through. Following Christ, I, I remember th just thinking this. Uh, following Christ, and I actually said some of this, now you'll, you'll recognize it, has been declared as a weak thing. And man, if you follow Christ, that's, that's a weak thing. And following Christ has been deemed as an effeminate thing, really just a woman's thing. You know what, I'm a man, I'm not, I'm not going to be involved in that, and it's a woman's thing, it's a female thing. Uh, and, and we've left it to the females, and so they raise our kids, and they lead our homes, and they end up having to lead in the church, and they're, they're leading all these areas that they weren't meant to lead in. 
and we've left that to somebody else. You know what? To, to live as a Christian is a weak thing. Uh, remember Jesse Ventura was the governor of Minnesota, I believe, and he says organized religion, basically following Christ, is a crutch. And hey, I, I'm too much of a man to need that crutch. And, and that's, that's really what we've, what we've operated under. It is a, a weak thing. It is an effeminate thing, and we've left it to somebody else. First week we ever met, and I guess I was a little bit younger then, I said this, a bunch of really testosterone-filled lines, and that's what we're creating. We have testosterone for a reason, have become a bunch of castrated house cats who are sitting around the house, and they're all fat, and they're sitting by the food dish hoping somebody just put some food in there. And that's about how we started living our life. Well, I made another day. Well, it's Friday. We made it the weekend. We've become a bunch of house cats who are just laying around the house gaining weight. I want to tell you, I thought that then, and I think it now. The greatest thing that could ever happen is for men, and I'm talking about real men, men to see and realize what God has built them for. You know what? God has built me for something, and it's something great, and it's something that requires courage and strength and character. It's going to take character to walk this out. It's going to take perseverance and resolve. And to understand God built me for that thing and to take up that thing and to say, you know what, this is what a man looks like. The world's lied to us. This is what a man following Christ, walking with God, looks like. I want to tell you, still the greatest thing that would happen is if the men in this room, just these men, said, you know, I want to take up that purpose. I want to get up with a reason to do something that actually glorifies God. Our kids will be blessed by that. Our sons who are growing up thinking the best thing you can do today is sit in your room and spin this goofy little deal and watch TV all day. Our sons would see, you know what, a man is created for something and God has a purpose for him. There's a, there's a reason to do something. Our wives would be blessed by that. Our daughters would see what a real man looks like. Our churches would come alive. If men were in the church acting like the man that God has called them to be, our churches would come alive. And I want to tell you, Vernon, Texas, and then Texas, and then I believe America and North America would look different because men understood God built us for something. I have a resolve and a character to walk in the purpose that he's called me for. And it's that thought that we launched our men's power lunch in. Today, six and a half years later, it's still the same thing. You know what? We didn't need another Bible study. We don't need another meal. We're heavy enough. We do not need another men's fellowship. But this is that men might realize they have a purpose. And God intends for them to carry that purpose. And our world is going to change because of it. It would be absolutely unreal. It would be absolutely unreal if we understood that. I, I wonder sometimes, how do we get people to find that out? How do we change the culture? The avalanche of crud is, is, has already come down on top of us. How do we get people to see, you know what, this is what God has built you for. And if you'll do that, it'll be a blessing to your kids and to your home and to your church, to your life. God built you for something tremendous. You have a purpose. Well, the only way I know how to do that is just keep saying, this is what God has said. Do not listen to me. Do not listen to a church. Do not listen to somebody else. What has God said? So today we're going to continue on. Our purpose is still the same. And we're going to see once again what God has said. We're moving verse by verse through 1 Peter. Awesome. The last two Thursdays I believe are awesome. We finish up the last of the third chapter. 
And today we start into the fourth chapter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read them to you, and then we'll go back and look at them. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. That's the two verses together. Now, I'm going to break them down, starting there in the first verse. It says this, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, therefore. Starts off, and that word therefore is tying this to the verses, the previous verses that we've already looked at. That really the last half of the third chapter. If you look at the last half of the third chapter, really Peter has just explained the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's also explained the benefit to believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember verse 18, he says, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. And he tells us that brings us to God. Really, he's explained the gospel in the last half of the third chapter. He's told us Jesus comes. He is born as a man. He comes as a man. He lives a life where he doesn't sin because he doesn't sin. He's able to offer himself as the payment for our penalty, those of us who have sinned, the just for the unjust. He substitutes himself for us. That's what the cross is about. He doesn't deserve that. We deserve that. And he comes and he pays the penalty for sin. Now, now he wants us to see that, and we need to see that. He doesn't just come and write off the penalty for sin. He doesn't just come and cancel out the penalty for sin. He comes and he goes to the cross and he pays the penalty for sin. And he doesn't pay it with gold coins. He pays it with his own blood that runs out of his body. And that's what it's telling us there. By faith in that, we're declared the righteousness of Christ. But by faith in that, we're delivered from the wrath of God. God is angry towards sin. In fact, he tells us he's angry towards sinners. And he has a judgment that will be poured out on sin. Jesus comes and he takes that penalty that we might be saved. That's what we're saved from. That's what it means to be saved. Doesn't mean, well, they've been going to church for a while, they must be saved. You're saved from the wrath of God, the punishment of God towards sin. In the end, hell. That's what you're saved from because Christ comes and with his blood, he purchases us back from them. So he says this, he does that, therefore, he does that, Christ does that, and because he does that, therefore. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh. Now see this today, what, what he's saying, therefore, now remember that, that's what we have in the gospel, since Christ has suffered in the flesh. What that means is this, we are to remember, we are to consider, and we are to live in light of the fact that Jesus died on the cross. Now, I think that the longer we live as Christians, we start to set that aside. Well, of course that happened, and I'm glad for that. But I don't want to remember that all the time. I don't want to think about that. This is saying, you know what, we need to get out of bed, and we need to be reminded, as I step out of bed, Jesus died for me. Today, as I get out of bed, Jesus died for me. He was beaten for me. 
He was whipped across his back for me. The book of Isaiah says, till he's not the form of a man. He's beaten beyond recognition for me. I need to step out of bed going, Jesus died for me. He was brutally beaten for me. He was whipped and nailed to a cross for me. And I have to think in light of that. Paul says the same thing. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, and you are not your own. This is what Paul's saying. For you've been bought with a price. We need to get up and say, you know what? My life doesn't belong to me. And you know what? There was a man that was perfect and did not sin. And he was just. And he didn't deserve what he got. And he, he, he was butchered to a cross, beaten on a cross, killed on a cross, that I might be forgiven and saved. And we need to step out of bed in the morning going, and because of that, this. Continues on. says this. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same purpose. This is really the focus of what we're studying today. Arm yourselves also with the same purpose. The key word, maybe of the whole day, is the word arm. Arm yourselves for the same purpose. Now, I want you to see how how profound, how big, and how meaningful this word arm is. It doesn't mean take up the same purpose. Well, remember the cross, Jesus died for you, and so take up the same purpose. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean to endeavor in the same purpose. Jesus died on the cross, remember his death, so endeavor in the same purpose. It means what it says, arm yourself in the same purpose. This is a call to arms. This is a call for Christian men, Christians, to enter into battle to push into darkness, to basically strap it on and prepare for something that's big. Arm, you think about the word arm. To arm yourself requires resolve. To arm yourself requires courage. To arm yourself requires strength. To arm yourself requires action. Think about that. Now, if you arm yourself for something, that that, that word's not just there for, 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 for no little reason. What do we arm ourselves for? We didn't arm ourselves for lunch. Pull up, well, I'm, shoot, it's lunch in there. I'm armed for lunch. We don't arm ourselves for lunch. We don't arm ourselves for a nap. I am resolved and I'm courageous and I will not back down. At three o'clock, I'm taking a nap. We do not arm ourselves for a nap. You arm yourself for what? Something that's going to take courage. You arm yourself for a battle. And so he picks the word, arm yourself, because Christ died on the cross, because of the salvation we have in him, arm yourself with the same purpose. Do not miss this. In the context, we really pretty have it pretty easy, but in, in the context, he is talking to people who are being beaten for professing faith in Jesus Christ. They're actually being beaten. Well, I don't like you. No, they're being beaten for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're being persecuted. They're being run out of their country, out of their towns. Some of them are being put in jail, and and not the jail we would have today because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Some of these folks are being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. The guy that wrote this to us is going to be crucified upside down. He is talking to people who are being persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. Remember, that's who he's talking to. Also remember the context. He's also still talking about Jesus. Arm yourself for the same purpose. He's talking about the same purpose as Jesus. 
Now, what was Jesus' purpose? His purpose was to lead people to be right with God through himself, to be right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The book of Luke chapter 19 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus comes, he trades himself so that people could be saved. That's his purpose. We're to arm ourselves with the same purpose. That is our purpose. Now, I was thinking about this this morning. How many men, and you just think about every man that you know. You want to know the problem? Here's the problem. How many men who were created by an infinitely wise God and were created for that purpose, who were bought by a beating on a cross by Jesus Christ, how many men do you know that woke up today and said, I am armed and ready for that purpose? You see, that's what's been robbed of us. That's what's been taken from us. We think, you know what, I'm going to make enough money. I'm going to have enough fun. I'm going to acquire enough stuff. And there I'm going to find my purpose. Arm yourself for the same purpose of Jesus Christ. You're to give yourself that others would find hope, peace, and a relationship with the Holy God. Now, here's where it gets crazy, if you can get crazier than that. The rest of verse 1. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves for the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He who has ceased, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now what that's talking about, some of these folks have died. They have suffered in their flesh for the cause of Jesus Christ. He's saying this, when they died for the cause of Jesus Christ, what happened? They ceased from sin. Now, now what that means is this. On that day, they no longer had to fight against their fleshly desires. They no longer had to fight against sin. They no longer had to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this and I'm going to be deliberate and I have to fight against my sin. On that day, they're free forever from the fight against their old sinful self. How many people wake up and go, oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. Oh, I wish I hadn't caused this mess. Oh, I wish I'd have had a different response right here. And we have to fight against our sin. On that day, you know what? There's no more fight. The other part of it is this. They no longer have to fight against sin. They no longer have to suffer the consequences of sin. You know what? Sin has a consequence. We live in a fallen world and cruddy stuff happens because of our sin. You know what? They're free from that. They're delivered from that. It's talking about on that day they're free from their sin. They no longer have to fight against their sin, but they're also free from the penalty of sin, the effects of sin. Now, Here's what the end of that verse means. and He's already said it earlier in in the book. The worst that can happen to you is that you would die. That's what he's saying. And he's saying this. And you know what? That's not so bad because you're free from your fight against sin and you're free from the impact of sin. Paul really said the same thing. Who cares? If I live, if I die, you're going to find me serving Jesus Christ. That's my paraphrase. Peter says the same thing. The worst that can happen to you is that you're going to die and you're going to be free from this life in this world of sin. Then we move to verse 2. says this. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, the rest of the time in your body, No longer for the lust of men. No longer for the things that we desire as humans. But now for the will of God. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh. No longer for the lust of men, but for the will 
of God. Maybe you're here today and you're 25 years old. Maybe you're 35 years old. Maybe you're 65. Maybe you're here today and you're 75. Maybe, maybe there's a few here, and I know there are, that are 90 years old. Who cares? Peter says, why don't we live out the rest of our time for the will of God? What it means is this. How awesome would it be to be able to sit there in your seat and say, you know what, I, I was 32 years old when I figured it out. And I decided I will live the rest of my time for the glory of God. I was 52 years old. I wish I'd have been 32. I was 52 years old. And I decided, you know what? The rest of these days, I'm going to live for the glory of God. I was 72 years old. My lands, I was 72 years old. But you know what? It doesn't matter because the rest of my days, I'm going to live them for the glory and the purpose of God. That's what we ought to be excited about. However old you are, whatever station in life, you know what? The rest of these days, I'm going to live them out for the purpose and the glory of God. I'm going to take up the mission of Jesus Christ. You want a reason to get up in the morning? I don't care how old you are. I don't care how big your retirement is or how little it is. I don't care what you find yourself. You want a reason to get up in the morning? I'm going to do what God created me as a man to do for his glory. And that's a reason to get out of bed in the morning. When I was 32, I'm 46 now, 32, 33 years old, and things happened in my life. And God gets my attention and in a couple of ways. He gets it in a very abrupt way. I'll tell you the story. One of my friends commits suicide. Uh, business stuff is all, uh, all a mess. And, and in my 32nd year, my 33rd year, I start to wonder, well, we say we believe stuff. Does it really matter? We say we believe stuff. It really doesn't change how we live. We live like we want to live. Is this true? Is it really true? Is this, is this something worth uh, living for, is it just some kind of superstition, some, some fable for a bunch of women somewhere? And in, in the midst of that year, I start to understand there is a heaven and there is a hell and there's a way to go to both. And I know what, I've put my faith in Jesus Christ and I'm sure that I've settled that, but you know what, there's other folks that haven't. And if I believe something, I'm not going to be silent any longer. I'm not a coward. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm going to start to tell people what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you grew up with me. You, you never thought I'd be a preacher. I never thought I'd be a preacher. But in, in the midst of that year, I came across this verse. And I underline it in my Bible. And I write it in the cover of my old Bible. And really, I start to think about this verse. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 says this. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Now, what that verse means is this. Jesus is coming again. And it's talking to Christians here. Now, little children, it's talking to Christians. When Jesus comes again, and I'm talking about the King of King, the Lord of Lords, with nail prints in his hand that he purchased you back. And he comes and, he, and he's established and he, he's the reigning and ruling King when Jesus comes again. And if you can even picture that, when Jesus himself comes again, the just comes now for the unjust who've been made just because of him. When Jesus comes again, you're going to be able to do two things. This is talking to Christians. You're either going to have to say, you know what? I didn't really worry about this. You know, I really wasn't that impressed with this. I lived my life. 
And you're going to have to look at your shoes and you're going to have to try to, to shrink back to the crowd. And you're not going to want to look Jesus in the eye. And there stands the, the man, Jesus, who bought us back. And you're going to, have to say, you know what, I, I thought it was about fun. I thought it was about money. I thought it was about what I wanted. And you're going to have to shrink back. And that's what it says. And you're going to have to stand ashamed when Jesus comes. Or the second is this. I may have been 72. I may have been 82. I may have been 52. But on the day that I became impressed that my Savior died for me and that he built me for a purpose, I said, God, you forgive me and I'm going to mess up and you forgive me for that as well. But as best as I know how, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to honor you and I'm going to abide in you. And when you come, not because I'm worth two cents, but because of Jesus Christ and because I bought into what he said and I was going to be committed to his purpose, I'm going to be able to stand and I'm going to be able to look my Savior in the eye. And I started thinking, well, that's, that's how I'm going to live my life. And I failed and I messed that up. But the, the pattern of my life, when Jesus comes, I want to be able to stand and not shrink away when my Savior comes. What if he sits down and there's a hundred men in Vernon, Texas that say, Lord, we believed you and we were impressed by you and we sold out to you. And we're sorry, messed up people, but by the grace of God, you saved us. And then impressed by that, we led many people to Jesus Christ. We took up your purpose we had a reason to get up in the morning. How awesome. How awesome. If it's worth his dying for, if it's worth our dying for, it's worth our living for. Followers of Jesus Christ sold out, taking up arms for that purpose. Glad you were here today. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. We're thankful for you. And I'm thankful today that it's not about our works. It's not about us getting good enough. It's not about us quitting things. It's about Christ. And it's about realizing we had no hope outside of him. But you loved us enough. You came. You took our penalty. You paid it. You purchased us back in great grace and in great love. I pray for some here today that haven't put their faith in you. That haven't received that by faith. I pray today that you would burn in their hearts, that the hearing of your word, that they wouldn't be able to stand it anymore, that they would leave here and say, I've got to be right with God. And today I put my faith in Jesus. I'm not going to make it on my own. I have no hope of my own. But today I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I pray for that to happen. I pray for some of us here today that have done that, knowing we didn't deserve it, we didn't earn it, but we've done that. I pray for us that we would say, you know what, I was created for something. And I have a purpose, and I'm not so big of a coward or, or so big of a hypocrite. I'm not so apathetic and lazy that I would take up a different purpose. God, help us take up your purpose. Help men to stand as men, and help men to live and glorify you in their lives. Empower us for that. Lord, we tell you we're thankful that you didn't write us all off and cast us in a, in a trash heap. But you loved us, and you offer salvation to us. We praise you for that. Help us in this, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.